Hello, listeners, and welcome again to A Women's Worth with Dr. Pamela Payne Foster and Rashonda, Mrs. Rashonda White. Uh, we are so excited today to have a special guest. So special, we are extending the length of the show <laughs> from one hour to uh, from 30 minutes to one hour, around one hour. Um, so we're excited about that. But before we begin, we'd like to start with welcoming. Welcome to another episode of A Woman's Worth. Uh, a woman's worth is being informed. A woman's worth is being educated. A woman's worth is being aware. And a woman's worth is knowing how to prevent disease and have optimal health. We are so delighted today to have Dr. Laron Nelson. Dr. Laron Nelson is a, uh, I wanna say, I know he's a professor. I don't know what rank he can tell us that at Yale. Uh, University School of Nursing. Um, I met Laron um, several years ago through uh, well, as a, a fellow researcher through the Centers for AIDS Research, um, a group of us uh, that are doing work in spirituality and HIV prevention. So just delighted to have him um, on the show today. And it's funny, uh, La, uh, Dr. Nelson uh, Laron, we'll call him Laron, um, has uh, does work in um, uh, MSM, what we call men having sex with men. He's an expert in that area and works in that area uh, very closely. And this is a woman's show. So you might be asking, what is the topic going to be if he works with men and we're talking about women? And that's really what we want to spend our time talking about today, because uh, our theme today is we are our brother's keeper. Uh, we really want to open up this dialogue between Black men and Black women to prevent HIV. We, we, we don't want to do it in categories. So we are coming together to really talk about relationships, the relationship between us as uh, men and women, Black men and women, and also as a community. So we're just delighted. Thank you so much, Laron, for being with us here today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Happy sure, sure, sure. So yes, thank uh, you. This, welcome. I, I wanted to start with a quote that you gave us because that's really what got us thinking about what can, what, what can we talk about along this line? And you said we need to have more open and loving kind dialogue between black women and black men who have sex with other guys. And it can help us increase women's access to information about PrEP and treatment, HIV prevention. So that's, I'm starting with that quotes to give us some ideas about where we're going with this. Mm -hmm. But before we do that, tell us a little bit about who you are and, and what your journey's been. Awesome, well, thank you, Rashonda and uh, Pamela for the opportunity to be on this uh, show today, it's an honor. You know, so I am the Independence Foundation Associate Professor of Nursing and Public Health at Yale. Uh, so that's both in the School of Nursing and the School of Public Health. But I'm also an associate dean in charge of global affairs and planetary health, which is literally like it sounds, <laughs> in charge <laughs> of helping to make sure we can ensure the health of Earth. And uh, it's not a small task. So, so I just uh, want to add that you're not just any old professor. You got an endowed professorship because it sounds like it from the title yes. of your um, uh, ranking. And yes. then not only are you doing uh, your, your work within nursing and public health, but you also have uh, additional responsibilities outside of that for global. Yes. So I love that. We've, that sort of sets the context for who you are. Keep going. Thank you. Yeah, it's true. You know, I'm a nurse. I identify very much as a nurse. I'm a family nurse practitioner. And I started my, my work in public health. Uh, I'm a Southerner. 
I'm from Savannah, Georgia. Yay. I was born and raised there. My mother's from Savannah, so that's our other connection. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I knew I could feel something. Uh, and I joined the military from there, from living in Savannah, was in the Navy. And then after four years in the Navy, I got uh, some things happened, positive things. And I ended up in nursing school right out of the military. Mm. And uh, so I've been doing that ever since. You know, my uh this is this topic that we're talking about today is very uh near and dear to me because when i first began working as a nurse i worked in a public health clinic and what city uh, was that Laurent? this was rochester new york okay monroe county new york western new york about 50 miles east of buffalo new york mm -hmm. and uh, so i was a nurse in that clinic and we saw a lot of black women a lot of black girls actually mm. uh, so this was a clinic where people come to get screened for hiv for stis for pregnancy and so i would see i mean we were seeing a lot of women and uh i got really interested in some of the the answers i would get from black girls in particular uh particularly girls who would, who would come in who had children they were already mothers so they're 15 16 wow. 14 uh they're mothers but they 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 answered the questions about their economy's behavior very differently than girls who were not mothers but who also but who may have had multiple partners so the girls who were mothers would would tell us would tell me that they use condoms all the time or most of the time except when it was the father of their child and i didn't know i didn't understand that but you know, I heard it once, I heard mm -hmm. it twice, I heard mm -hmm. it 10 times. Mm. And I keep kept hearing it and I was puzzled by that. One, because I, I never lived life as a teenage girl mm -hmm. or mom. And yet these women were coming in to me for care about a part of this experience that I could not understand. Mm -hmm. But I knew it wasn't random because so many girls <laughs> said the exact same phrase, the same mm -hmm. thing. So that's how I got started in research. I was trying to figure out how do I uh, uh, how do I how, how do I better serve the folks who are coming to me for care, which meant I need to understand what was influencing these very particular behaviors mm -hmm. among this particular group of women, mostly black women, some Latinas, uh, some white women, but we saw mostly black and uh, brown folks. So. So that's how I got started into research. I applied for my first NIH grant to try to figure out why, what was driving women, young black women, to exhibit different sexual behaviors depending on whether or not the, the male was the father of the child or not. Right. Mm -hmm. So I did that. Interesting. So, yeah. Very interesting. We, we want to know what the answer was. Well, <laughs> it ties in. So <laughs> This was a grant. I'm on the edge of my seat saying, but what's the answer? Because I, you know what? I, 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 I haven't really experienced that. Have you, Rashonda? Well, I'm interested because, you know, my research that I did at UAB School of Nursing, um, and we did, did some research, particularly around teen girls in that same age group. Mm -hmm. Particularly, we did one, one, one research project, we did 12 to 14. Mm -hmm. And the other project we did, 15 to 17. Mm -hmm. And so some of the questions we were, you know, asking them kind of similar to, 
you know, they may have the knowledge um, that, you know, HIV, some of them knew the knowledge, knew the risk factors, but they still engaged in unprotected sex. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to know why. Why mm -hmm. did they still doing that? But, do but Laron so, said, "I'm interested in what Laron has to say. Can we right. tie it? Yeah, right. But it's interesting it what Laron yes. said. Not unprotected sex altogether. Certain right. particular partners. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Yes. And that's why I'm like, I'm ready to hear what your yes. what, you, what you all found. Well, yes. well <laughs> the, what you the found. Short, the short answer was it's complicated. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you know. We, we found that uh, the women, I mean, so I, I use the term women, but these were, these were young girls mm -hmm. and most of them did not have very sort of sophisticated, well-developed communication strategies about how to negotiate this relationship with this guy. Mm -hmm. Some of them, was the, it was the first time they'd ever had sex, mm -hmm. uh, maybe soon after meeting this guy. So they didn't even really have other reference points for this guy's interest other than they knew he was interested in sex. Mm -hmm. But it turns out most of the girls had kind of psychologically moved on. They had sort of given up on this idea that they were gonna have this life together some of them even had other boyfriends or the partners, but they were very concerned about if they were to refuse sex or not, if they were to refuse sex with the father of their child, that it might have implications for the relationship between the mm. father and the child. Wow. So they weren't even worried about the relationship between them mm -hmm. and the, the father that wasn't adventurous. They were trying to figure out ways to keep a connection between the child and the father. The and, and let me is, ask you this, Laron. Uh -huh. Did the fathers say they didn't want to have you sex or they didn't even bring it up as an issue? These are such good questions. <laughs> uh, so it it is it's like that book that you might have some you might have heard about called like men are from Mars and women are from mm -hmm. Venus or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're, they're not, but they might as well be. Mm -hmm. uh, because it, when we talk to fathers, they said, well, we have, yeah, we go, we, we have sex, but because when we go over there, that's what is on, on the table. <laughs> and so I'm not going to refuse, but mm -hmm. it was the same thing. They weren't as interested in having a sexual relationship with the mother they wanted to have a relationship with the child, but mm. neither one of them had sophisticated strategies to talk about that they can have this relationship together that's centered on the child and doesn't necessarily have to involve romantic sexual attraction if that's not what they want. Mm -hmm. So neither of them were really, really wanted it for the sake of having it. They thought this is sort of part of what you do because one's 15, one's 17, and they don't know... They don't have other strategies, other tools to help them figure out how to manage that. And so that's what we learned. And it actually helped us in the clinic because we, uh, you know, we would say things like, you know, girl, you can do better for yourself. Get rid of this guy. He's a, this is the third time you've been in here. He's not trying to stick with you. Uh, we were trying to separate. We were trying to, you know, lead these women to independence separated from the fathers, from these guys who we thought were causing them trouble. Here you are in this sexual health clinic. But what we learned is that the women wanted connection. They didn't even want sex necessarily, but they wanted the relationship and connection. 
and we weren't helping them get the relationship and the connection that they wanted as mothers, wow. which was really centered around their children. So we had to rethink our strategy about what care meant when a girl came in and said this question and let us ask different types of questions. So Laron, I mean, you're hitting on us thinking as public health practitioners and you know the science when you what you're talking about are relationships mm -hmm. yes and so we've got to think about relationships when we're doing even when we're doing the public health and the way Absolutely. we communicate with our patients uh and and the community so that's a great important lesson that we really want to kind of expand a little bit mm -hmm. more and more um, yes. because that's that's the point i think sometimes especially in hiv prevention we've got this show a woman's worth we're all about you know empowering the woman and uh, giving the woman power giving her education to really uh, help her in her self-care but it's not separate from a man or a relationship it yes. might be another woman it might be whoever in a relationship it's not separate from a relationship and it's not separate from the family you right. made that great point about the children um, really being at the center of everybody's mind and, and be it sophisticated or not um the children are really at the center of it so um i just want, yeah. really want to see if we can go in that direction did you have a question uh Rashonda? no i'm just interested um in the work it is in um dr nelson's work and continue to learn more about you know what he found when working with these teen girls because as you said that was my era uh, area as well and um and when you said connection that just really just oh yeah that was mm -hmm. what it was i can see that clearly because mm -hmm. even in some of the work we were doing it still was kind of you know some of them were engaging in certain behaviors because of peer pressure again mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that yeah. we found that it was peer pressure and so i'm learning i'm, I'm really interested in learning more about the work you're doing and, and, and it relates to connection again it goes back to relationships yeah relationships. and Laron, maybe you can move from the the women's <clears throat> work to what you do now and, and how that might relate to montgomery this station um uh is mainly targeted in montgomery alabama we're on 94.5 fm in montgomery and you're in, embarking on some work in montgomery so can you kind of Work us into um, how you did started with that work and what you're doing now and how it might implicate uh, Montgomery. Well, a, a, a few decades, maybe not a few decades. Uh, some, <laughs> you're saying how years, old we are. <laughs> <laughs> so, some years ago, you know, we were looking at the the HIV data among men, homosexual men, and Black communities, and the numbers were were terribly high. Mm -hmm. number of new infections was terribly high among very young black uh, men who are sexually other men. And I remember thinking, who, who, who are these guys? And at the time I was still working primarily with, uh, with young black women, moms. And I thought, when I looked at the age, I said to myself, these are going to be these girls' children. These are their sons. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I remember how the mm -hmm. the amount of risk they took, the, they put their bodies at risk to make sure that these children could have relationships with their fathers, mm -hmm. particularly the sons, but also the daughters. But they were they were they would give anything <laughs> to mm -hmm. make sure this child had to sort of a healthy, happy life. And I was saying to myself, these babies are growing up to get HIV, these boys, some of them 
are going to grow up to get HIV. And I, I know that that's not what the moms would have wanted for the children. Mm -hmm. And so I thought we, we have to figure out some way to, to stop that. And not just the children, but some of these guys who are seeing in these data are their brothers, mm -hmm. right? Some might be the fathers of their children. Some might be their boyfriends. But they were still these men that they were connected to. And I was just trying to think of how do I honor the women who at the time, uh, how do I honor these women, even if it means shifting focus from our research to centering on teenage uh, black adolescent girls to focusing on uh, men who have sex with other guys. And so I, I shifted because we saw the curve I mean, it was bad. It's mm -hmm. it's still bad, mm -hmm. but it was uh, it was alarming at that time. And, so and let I me shifted. add, and and bad in the south, in the deep south. Yes, yes, really, yes, yes. We haven't figured out how to uncover it all. But go ahead. Yes, no, it's it, incredible. And so, so I shifted to figure out how can we stop new infections among uh, young black uh, men of sex with men. So that none of these girls, kid, babies, none of these sons have to grow up if they, if they can avoid it and acquire HIV. Uh, and so, so that's what we did. And more recently, you know, the country's been maybe for the last uh, five years, maybe focusing on how to end the HIV epidemic. I mean, like what your show was doing is contributing right. to that effort. Right. And so they identify these communities across the country that really represent most of the HIV uh, prevalent in the United States. Uh, so Montgomery was one of those communities right, that right. was identified. Right. And so we we said so we got till 2030. There's these resources available, communities are activated, uh, shows are popping up, people are talking about this. Like we got a shot to really, you know, end HIV. We have to do it in partnership with communities and we have to figure out a way to stop HIV among men because that is how do how do i say this delicately um <laughs> you know the low-hanging fruit is that the low-hanging fruit no if we don't stop hiv among men we won't stop hiv at all mm. right men get hiv from other men and women get hiv from other men they could get it from women but in general that is not how the transmission dynamics occur and so uh, regardless of people's sort of sexual repertoire, we know that men are the key, not because they're better <laughs> than women or they're more important, but because of the mechanics of HIV and how it was transmitted. If we can't stop in the men, we can't stop the transmission, uh, particularly in black communities. And so we said, we've got to figure out how to do this. Uh, and because the rates were so high among men who have sex with other men, we said we have to zero in on this population for all the reasons that I discussed that, uh, you know, women's, how this, women's well-being is sort of tied up into the well-being of their family members, their mm -hmm. brothers, their sons, mm -hmm. their fathers, their uncles, uh, but also <laughs> preventing transmission among, uh, in men will also prevent armor transmission to women, because that's like primarily what women, how women are acquiring HIVs through sexual contact with men. Right. Uh, also, so that's why we decided let's let this is an approach that brings in everybody. It is targeting targeting a particular group because we know that's how we can break that transmission chain. Is it? And I, I love the 
the thing you said, uh, Laron, about uh, women in the community, their mothers. Mm -hmm. So some of some of the, the the clients that you may see now are the sons of yeah. those women. They're the brothers of. Mm -hmm. They're the uh, 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 they're they're their brothers, their sons, uh, you know, relatives. Mm -hmm. They're part. We're all connected. Yeah. I mean, it sort of reminds me of uh, we all know someone who's uh, been to prison, right? Yes. We all in our community, we all know somebody who we've got family members. I've had a brother who's been in federal prison. Mm -hmm. I've had a brother who's uh, who's had a drug addiction. Mm -hmm. So and so it's not just his issue. It's my issue. Yes. It's my mother's issue. It's my sister's issue. Mm -hmm. It's everybody in the family. So that connectiveness, I think, is what you really bring home on how we have to keep it all and not in a vacuum but to keep right. it all connected together. So we really understand uh, the social um, parts of it, the connectiveness parts of it. And, and that's what really makes it so complex. I love when you said earlier, uh, not so simple, not a simple answer. <laughs> no. But the connection um, yeah. is real. I mean- Connection I, is real. It's real. That's why I think the approach, the, the sort of traditional approach that we've taken for so long has not worked. I think mm -hmm. we work from a model that sort of sort of white and Eurocentric and sort mm -hmm. of zeroes in on- Linear, the, very linear. Yes, yes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and it's not how our communities are organized. It's not no. how we think, it's not how we no. relate. And no. so we have to have a different way of doing it if it's gonna work for us. Fantastic. Yes, I totally agree with you <laughs> on that, Dr. Nelson, because yeah. we have to start to look at it from a different perspective mm -hmm. and shift it from the perspective of, you know, a white, you know, and, and how we, you know, the oppressive thinking, we got to think differently in order to, mm -hmm. you know, from, you know, because African-American identity, the way we identify, you know, particularly from our roots from Africa, we're a community, we're a community mm -hmm. of people, community. Mm -hmm. The communal, we are communal. Yes. In harmony, you know, yes. so yeah. being able to think and how to identify and create, you know, solutions from that perspective, mm -hmm. from that, you know, Black perspective. I agree. I totally agree with you on that. Yeah. Because the way we operate and the way we connect mm -hmm. and everything is different. You're right. It's, it's, it's different. I'll give an example. We had talked about, this is early on, we were thinking about what, what are the strategies? And they were sort of laying out these sort of communication pathways and they were all Black gay men, Black gay men, or Black bisexual. And I said, that is not going to work. So I said, when you, when a Black man, say 20 year old black man comes into your office and you talk to him about pre-exposure prophylaxis, right? Mm -hmm. Guess what he's gonna go ask about it? He's gonna go ask his auntie and say, auntie, they, they, they talk about this thing called prep. You heard of prep? And if she says no. Absolutely right. Right, he's not taking it. <laughs> and so this idea that you can skip aunties and get mm -hmm. to black gay men is mis. Mm -hmm. is, it's yes. miscalculation. Mm -hmm. Right. And you're right because you because me and Dr. Foster talked about this, even in the work we did with COVID. I remember how some guys got the vaccine because their mama told them to get mm -hmm. it, or their grandmother, or some church. It was a woman. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the original influencers, right? It was a black yeah. woman, yeah. Well, and you know, and you know what it was, Rashonda, you're not coming in my house if you don't get it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> You're yeah, not so you're right. Even though right. they heard all right. this stuff, it was a black, the black male yes. that went to right. a woman, and yes. that's why they they promoted that, um, that advanced them to get the mm -hmm. vaccine. That's right. <laughs> you're absolutely 
right. Can you tell us, uh, Laron, what are you going? What are you going to be doing in Montgomery? What do you need? Uh, what do you need to tell us to help kind of promote what you're going to be doing in Montgomery? So here's what we're doing in Montgomery. So first, we've taken a position. It's a scientific position, but we've taken a position that the this epidemic that we see and the way it's sort of raging among in our communities uh, and among Black MSM is not about the Black MSM themselves. Mm -hmm. It's about these structures that uh, overexpose us, right? The same way we saw it in COVID, right? Mm -hmm. It's not mm -hmm. about us as individuals. It's about the way we are structured within the system mm -hmm. to overexpose us to viral, viral infections. Mm -hmm. So Our we're work, where we work, yes. essential <laughs> yes. workers. Yes, yes, exactly. Yes. And so we're taking a multi-level approach by, by first going to creating a couple of things. The first is sort of community coalitions or uh, trying to help facilitate communities to develop these coalitions to help build bridges across these gaps that demand fall through. Uh, it could be employment, it could be education, it can be uh, transportation, how to get from one place to another. People live in a rural area mm -hmm. and the medication is downtown mm -hmm. uh, and you got to go to work. So like that might be a barrier for you to get to a medication for prep or for treatment. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is that the places where people go uh, can also be a barrier. So it's one thing to walk into a clinic and the doors open and you walk in in a technical sense, you might say, well, you have access to the clinic, but how do they look at you, right? How do they, what do they, how do they treat you? Do they smile? Do they come in close? When, when you tell them what you like to do sexually, do they ask follow-up questions or do they change the subject? Like these are, these are things that can communicate in stigmatizing ways to men that might make them not be willing to take up the treatment for HIV if they have HIV, or for PrEP if they're trying to prevent an HIV infection. And so we're trying to identify healthcare facilities that have to be the points of contact where men have to go and say, here's all the way, you're doing, you're doing awesome work, right? Mm -hmm. The nurses and the physicians go into this because they want to help people, but Black MSM are not being helped as much as we need them to be. And let's think with you about what it is that you might be doing that you might not even realize is undermining the quality of care when you might think that it's helping or improving the quality of care. So we want to create better access points and better receptivity to the men to be able to come into the clinic and to be themselves. Some, some providers, if you ask them, how many Black gay men or MSM do you have in your practice? They might tell you zero, right? Mm -hmm. One, because they probably don't ask, they may not ask the question, right? Mm -hmm. Or they may create an environment where the men can never tell you that this is, this is the behavior that they enjoy or that they participate in. Right. So that's a problem. Because if you don't know that, you can't develop uh, care plans to help address what their needs might be. It's so funny, uh, Lauren. I was just in a meeting, a uh, faculty meeting, and our students go to a free clinic. Um, and uh, this, this group of students is the first time we've had the primary care track. So they want to be in primary care and they're pretty progressive. And uh, uh, one thing that disturbed them about the clinic is it's a faith-based mm. clinic. And for some of them who may be binary gender and some other issues, they saw that as a, as a negative. Mm. 
They saw that as a negative. So that's interesting. Even something that, uh, that that's not intentional, mm-hmm. the part of the clinic, um, but they could have something that says we welcome everybody. Yes, right, exactly. Um, in the in the student's mind, it was that faith based. They're anti LGBTQ plus, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's nothing up that says we welcome it, it, every mm-hmm. um, uh, race uh, or in sexual orientation. I mean, even just something as simple as that means it's inclusive. But and getting clinics to understand that um, and really kind of um, be, yeah. So, so that's interesting, you should, should say that. And I, I worked, a, I did another project of um, doing LB, LGBTQ plus training, a clinic up in Walker County. Uh, Rashonda knows Walker County. We would call that a sundown uh, mm. uh, county. <laughs> if you black, you better bitch, get your butt out of there before sundown. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Historically and now, even now. Oh, that's good. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> so these are the things we were saying to them about yeah, yeah. Um, being inclusive, uh-huh. thinking uh-huh. about how you could project that inclusiveness um, uh-huh. to your patients, um, et cetera, et cetera. And it has to be done in a way that people can feel it or see it or, uh-huh. you know, sense it. And, and Pam, as we talk, we talk about Montgomery and also other counties in Alabama, we know that this is the Bible Belt yes. in terms of what LaRon was talking about in terms mm-hmm. of, you know, Black men who have sex with other men mm-hmm. in terms of being free, you know, that freedom to say it because, you know, how you may be treated or, you know, people may not agree with the behavior, mm-hmm. you know, but how would you, what would you say to, you know, people that may, you know, we in the Bible that where a lot of people go to church and have that, you know, a certain thinking towards that behavior. Um, what would you say in terms of to, you know, other women in terms of being able to still make sure these men get the care they need mm-hmm. um, and the treatment they need in mm-hmm. terms of that mindset? Mm-hmm. Address that. I think there's there's a there's a lot of understanding that's necessary right. all around. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. it's important that uh, to understand sort of where it's coming from, because it's not always just the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes, sometimes people are uh, have been hurt, right? Mm-hmm. They found out some things about somebody they love, <laughs> and they feel betrayed by it, right? A woman who finds out her boyfriend was cheating and finds out it was a man, like that's mm-hmm. painful, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> and it may be hard to isolate that to, that was just my experience. You might carry that through to every interaction you have with other mm-hmm. men who you know have that situation. Mm-hmm. And so part of it is trying to, uh, that's just an ex- uh, example. example. Mm-hmm. But I do think there is some, incredible understanding right somebody's child 18 years old right had sex once a guy say he got hiv didn't get treated and died right some parents are upset about that who who is this person that had sex with my 18 year old child and now he's he's gone from hiv right that might be your nurse <laughs> that person might be the physician or the person at the front desk or the security guard and so part of it is under, is trying to suspend judgment from both sides, mm-hmm. from the patient side, but also how the patients understand all the things that the providers have to bring with them 
as they try to provide care to people that they have mixed feelings about because of their experience, right? That's not easy. So the first thing is to help to understand that we understand that people have complicated relationship with this topic. They <laughs> and, do. They and, do. And they're really. trying to provide care at the same time they're trying to manage their own personal connection to this topic, whatever that might be. Because that's part of what makes it hard. Yeah, and that's interesting, Laron. Uh, a lot of the work that I've done in churches, inevitably at the end of a talk, because I'm I'm usually talking about, you know, loving the person, not the mm -hmm. behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, um, mm -hmm. some, someone will come up and say they're struggling. It's a minister who will come up to me after the talk and say they're struggling with their own sexuality. Mm, wow. So that's where some of the ambiguity, I can yeah. promise you. <laughs> a lot of times the ambiguity is people are struggling themselves with their own sexual orientation uh, mm -hmm. and just haven't come out. I mean, you, you will definitely find that in the Deep South majorly, which is one of the issues. Everything is so closeted. Mm -hmm. um, and so it is it is important to have these conversations around sexuality. I, I was taken aback by what you said initially with the young girls, uh, even negotiating condom use. Mm -hmm. It's because we don't talk about sexuality and mm -hmm. those issues as a part of sexual health, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you have a right to, you know, uh, say, I won't have sex unless I you use a condom. The male mm -hmm. uses a condom or vice versa. Right. Uh, those conversations. So we definitely have to open up that conversation a lot more. Rashonda worked on a project with us in one of the counties where we talked about us. We did an assessment of just sex education in general. Our young people are not uh, really uh, getting what they need around right. information, mm -hmm. but just opening up about sexuality in general. They're, they're not as homophobic, I believe. No, no, uh, they're not. Not that, that Gen Z no. millennials. We, no. we, we no, just did, uh, I had Project Faith where we did an uh, intervention with uh, church leaders pastors and church leaders and we just did a focus group with some young people they they were like stigma we don't we don't they, there was they didn't they didn't see the stigma with lgbtq plus they don't have that same no because they even mention years they even go to the yes frat. yes you know, yes so they didn't they, yeah we were we were yeah, a little surprised they, didn't, they were like stigma hiv stigma what's that but they did they didn't know about the disparities so there's, mm -hmm. there's still a lot more work we have to do around the hiv they knew nothing about prep mm -hmm. um there's still a lot more work to do around the hiv education but the stigma so much was not a barrier for them which was kind of interesting these were all high school yeah mm -hmm. and you're absolutely right pam those gen zers and millennials no they don't no, the stigma no, no, that home no, is told because no. they just free they'll go support the pride and yeah, all of that yeah and, and it's, it's becoming and a little that. bit yeah. more open you yeah. know yeah I, I don't know uh lauren if you've seen the political ads here in alabama there's a uh there's a gay um i think high i don't i think it's not even a high school it's an after school kind of um um, place for LGBTQ plus uh, youth to congregate, and then there's a clinic uh, connected mm -hmm. with 1917. Um, but they, the, the some of the politicians uh, highlighted it in the um, uh, uh, the runoffs we just had, the primaries we just had, because I mean for them it's just negative. Yeah, um, yeah. Med, for the young the people, thing. they're not. Yeah. They're not. That's not their issue. Right. You know, it's not. It's not. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, healthcare providers. You know, one of the things that I think can help is you know stigma is in some ways is very normalized mm -hmm. like that you don't even know you're doing it 
right. certain things you say, it doesn't even occur to you that somebody will be bothered by it because everybody right. says it and nobody says anything about right. it. And so right. that can still be a barrier for people. So one of right. the things that we've done is sort of capitalize on the fact that we think people who work in healthcare facilities want to provide good care. They want people to get better. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't matter to them if they're, uh, you know, the background. Like if somebody comes in, this is a terrible, terrible graphic example, mm-hmm. but if somebody came into an emergency room, uh, there was an accident and somebody got hit and the other person was, say, driving drunk, right? Mm-hmm. They would want to take care of both people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they would mm-hmm. want to, regardless of what circumstance led you mm-hmm. to be here, mm-hmm. their concern was, we want both these people to live and right. to thrive. Right. And the consequences that happened beyond what you did before you got here of somebody else. That's their issue. Take care of, right? You're supposed to give equal care. I'm supposed to get you that's right. Get you right. That's right. That's and right. so we think that's true for most providers, even in Montgomery, is that they want to get people the best care but I don't think they they realize, I think it's important to help them understand where they might be missing the mark. And I think people want to know where they're missing the mark because they want to correct it. And I think yeah. people are surprised at some of the things that they point out. So we do this patient, simulated patient who comes in. It's not a surprise patient, but they just go through a regular visit. They come to your clinic, they check in, whatever. And then at the end, they say, hey, okay, I'm coming out of character. I'm actually not Carlos, I'm Laurent. And uh, thank you for my visit today. Let me tell you what I experienced (laughs) when I came here. Mm -hmm. To your point, Pam, like, Mm -hmm. you know, I identify as gay and I came and I looked around for some sign that Mm -hmm. I would be safe here. Something Mm -hmm. that said, you're welcome or Mm -hmm. we don't discriminate. I didn't see anything. So I was was scared the entire visit Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I didn't see anything that made me feel like I could be okay in this place. Right, or I, right. I kept telling you this one thing and you would not respond to it, which me told me you were you were not interested in that. Right. Or there were some things I told you that I was upset about something and this had happened to me and you comforted me. You said some mm-hmm. things that really, really helped me feel that I was going to be okay. In the back of my mind, I was contemplating whether I was going to commit suicide, but something that you said mm. really sort of anchored me and had me thinking about what I might do next. Wow. Maybe I should contact my pastor I talked to him about these sort of negative thoughts that I thought about taking my life. But it provides that feedback to people who work in healthcare facilities so that they can see that with the great visit, they were doing things they normally do. They didn't talk nasty to anybody. They didn't have a negative thought about anybody. And yet, here's the patient telling you, here's all the things that made this a very bad visit for me. <laughs> And or the, the, or, or the unconscious bias. The unconscious, right? The but it gives them a chance to sort of see it right. in a setting that's supportive. It's not critiquing them. It's mm-hmm. not shaming or embarrassing them. It's saying, listen, I realized you were trying to give me the best care you wanted. This is how I felt going wow. through this clinic. And here's what wow. you could have done differently that would have really made me engage, follow my treatment plan and keep my next appointment. Because if because at the end of this appointment, I'm thinking about how do I get out of this chair as fast as possible and how right. do I never come back to this place? So people want that feedback. But I think those are the type of experiences that we got to try to uh, facilitate between with healthcare facilities. We're doing that in Dallas, and we're hoping to do that in some facilities in, uh, in and around Montgomery also. Okay. So um, you're working with healthcare facilities, right? Yes. Okay. So they... We, we have some of them. We're partners with MAO. I, I know you've mm-hmm. already come down to, to meet with them. So I think you don't need to 
give out your information to have people get in contact with you. But do you have an email or website where people can get more information about the yes. study? For more information on the study, folks can go to www.hptn096.org. Okay. Okay. 096. Yeah, it's, a, 096. <laughs> it's, it's a building equity through advocacy study. And yes, so yes. again, it's multi-level. A big focus is on healthcare facilities, but a big part of the intervention is also about how do we how do we support community coalitions to help address these other structural barriers that are in the way. And we really um, need that down here in the South, mm -hmm. the community but, coalitions. We, me and Rashonda were just talking about, we used to have consumer uh, advocacy groups, mm -hmm. but I think the funding might've gone away. The health department used to do that statewide. Um, but it's just, it just not, has not been as strong as it could be um, probably like some other places like cities like New York and San Francisco and other places. The South, we, we really need to build the infrastructure around the consumer advocacy. Yeah, it was very strong there. at one point. Yeah, it was strong, but it's just kind of waxed and waned. And we just have to keep that going. That's really important. If, if we're going to end the epidemic, we can't do it without those uh, uh, consumers, those who are affected, so. Story and talking, you know, yes. openly about their status. I mean, now we find it difficult to get people to come in, come out and talk openly about their status in public. In the past, we didn't have issues with that. Mm -hmm. You know, now we're finding it, a, you know, a big problem. Yeah, I see we're close to time. I, I, I heard you kind of talk a little bit about lessons learned from COVID. We've learned so many. Mm -hmm. lessons from COVID, but um, I don't know if you have just one, uh, just a uh, ending statement or something you want to leave with our listeners. Well, I, I will say this, we thought very seriously about HB 10096 as a study and what it would mean to do this in the South. And we try to be very intentional about being based in the communities where we're doing the work. And so I had a chance to visit Montgomery. I'll be back soon. I'll be there a lot. Uh, but this really is not about sort of us coming from the outside to do something for Montgomery. Mm -hmm. It really is about- That's good. Way, yeah, yeah. But it was about how do we secure resources and get them to the people who can do what they need to get done in Montgomery and in Dallas and in these other places. Because we think that the, the community has the answers, right? We, talk, we started by talking about connections and all the ways that we sort of think about each other and work together and relate to one another. And so we want to invest and to say, you know the relationships that are necessary to address this. Mm -hmm. And so what we're gonna do is make sure you have what you need, technical assistance, it might be money, it might, whatever it is, to make sure that Montgomery can get it done, Montgomery's black community can get it done the way they know it needs to be done. I mean, that, that's where I think as a country, we've missed the mark because we've imported these models that were built for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so we're not trying to build a model for Montgomery. We wanna help Montgomery facilitate and support the model that it would build for itself about what it needs for its own community. I'm glad you said that, Laron, because we get people coming in from the outside all the time on what's best to do in the Deep South, and they have mm. no idea about no the idea at all. No uh -huh. idea at all. In fact, right. horrible ideas. Even, even some of my colleagues here <laughs> don't have a clue. So I'm um, glad you are partnering and really uh, working uh, uh, with the structures that are already here. So thank we thank you for that. And we thank you for being a guest today. And I'll let Rashonda take it, take it on out. 
Yes, and before we end the show, Dr. Nelson, anything else you want to share with our listening audience as it relates to your work um, and what's coming in Montgomery? I just want to say, stay tuned. You'll see the you'll see signs. You'll see us around. Uh, so say hi. Uh, participate when we start. If we come to your clinic, uh, you know, raise a hand, let us know you're interested, and uh, we'll be around for a long time. And so we look, I look forward to meeting all your listeners. I hope that the work that we're trying to lead uh, has an impact on your community and on your lives as well. Yes, yes. And and, and from being, I, I'm, I'm a native of Montgomery. So I have to say, being from Montgomery, you're right on the right track as you relate to, if you relate to, you know, getting in contact with, you know, like you said, folks still reach out to their aunties, their moms, mm -hmm. before they make certain decisions. Yeah, and especially the, the listeners who are women, like we need those listeners, right? We yes. know we cannot do it without yes. women. Uh, they are, they are, our keepers. Yes. And yes. Uh, uh, but we Give also one know story. This one yeah. guy, he was about to marry this woman. His mama said, nope. <laughs> <laughs> you know so what? That marriage was stopped. That's funny. So and that, look, that goes on the dad's side too. I remember bringing my fiance home and my daddy had a conversation with him. And, and I don't know what happened. And you know what? I didn't even ask because <laughs> it was okay. a little shaky from the beginning anyway. I know, I know we're out of time. I will say I'll take one minute to say this. So, you know, one of the things that was uh, that we found uh, among what what really would destroy the relationship between the mother and the father of the child, there was very little that could destroy it. But but it was this idea. It was this uh, what they call it claiming. Right. Mm -hmm. It was the the paternal grandmother had the power to claim the child or not claim the child and it it wasn't a sort of formal ritual mm -hmm. but if the paternal grandmother said no matter what the son said didn't matter if the paternal grandmother did not claim the child it was this unforgivable act it was almost like being in exile forever and even in situations where it, it might have been clear to everybody in the world mm -hmm. that's not this man's child it didn't matter. If the paternal grandmother claimed the child, the child became part of the family. It was mm -hmm. clan. Mm -hmm. And that was this forever relationship. But it was this extraordinary thing that we found that nobody really named, but wow. it was this power that the, the fathers of the, the mothers of the child fathers had to, wow. to keep that relationship together or to yeah. obliterate yeah. it. You're so absolutely right. I witnessed that being from oh, wow. interesting. That is You're amazing. absolutely right, Ron. I think that's yeah. interesting. So yeah. connections, powerful and connected. Yes. We want we, we to use that power for good, and we think that yes. we could leverage that also for the end of the epidemic. Yes, right. yes, All yes. Right. Okay, well, thank you so much, Laron. Um, This has very, been a very informative show, um, very educational. And like you said, we see how Laron and I was able to connect on certain things. Yes, <laughs> like, yes, oh, yes. 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 <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yeah, so again, thank you again, listeners, um, for tuning in to this episode. And remember, a woman's worth is being educated. A woman's worth is being aware. A woman's worth is being informed. 
a woman's worth is knowing how to prevent disease and have optimal health. And also listeners, please visit our Woman's Worth Health and Wellness Facebook page to complete a survey about this show, about LaRon's work, and also talk to us about other upcoming shows you would like to hear other topics. Um, and also visit www.fmsouth.net to view this part, this particular show and other um, previous shows on our, on our Spotify um, podcast. So again, thank you again for um, listening to another episode of A Woman's Work and take care.